Hey listeners, just jumping in quickly before the podcast to notify you about the BodyTrack Academy educational webinars that we have available via Eventbrite. We cover a variety of topics ranging from oncology, musculoskeletal rehab, neurological rehab, mental health performance and much more, all of which you can access 24-7. That means you can purchase the webinar and watch it at any time that suits you. You can claim our webinars as PD points via SS self-assessment tool and as a valued listener of the podcast, you're entitled to $10 off any of our webinars, but do hurry because the code is only available to the first 10 purchases. Just use the code FIRST10. So head on over to Eventbrite and browse our webinars. The link is in the show notes and on the BodyTrack Academy Facebook page. I'd like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the Yagara and the terrible people as the traditional custodians of Mianjin the lands on which our podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the BodyTrack Academy podcast created by EPs for EPs. The podcast will take you on an in-depth understanding of everything an EP is faced with on a day-to-day basis, including clinical, personal and business practices to ensure you become the best practitioner possible. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, follow us on whatever streaming service you use to ensure the message spreads and you are notified of any new podcast or educational resources available to you. Furthermore, if you're not already part of our online academy, head over to Facebook and join the BodyTrack Academy. Happy listening. Good day, associates. Another podcast on the cards here for you to grow, learn, listen, and take some practical concepts into your practice the very next day. I have Georgia with me again in the podcast studio. I wouldn't call it much of a studio though, it's the back storeroom <laughs> um, where I have my drum kit, uh, but at least it's aircon compared to Tuong. Georgia, true. welcome. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me again. Now, uh, Georgia is quickly becoming the case study queen, uh, and this is what we're gonna do again today. But we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to talk mostly about a clinical condition that is starting to gain a bit more traction in society. We're seeing a lot more referrals come to exercise physiologists for it. And it is none other than EDS, or known as Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Am I correct in saying that? You are. Yes, nailed it. Didn't didn't practice that one five times before (laughs) the podcast, did we, Georgia? No. So um, let's tuck right into it. EDS, because we're not going to say it in full for every time. So we're going to say EDS. Um, For our listeners, what is EDS? So um, EDS is a group of 13 heritable conditions. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) Okay, I didn't know there was 13. Yes. All right. So you're learning learning as well. I'm going to learn a lot today. Um, So they are essentially classified as a connective tissue disorder. Um, And the reason that they are, there are 13 is because it is a spectrum. So there is quite a lot of different presentations and they manifest in different ways. Um, But essentially the classifications allow us to um, obviously subgroup to the genetic reasoning for the condition, but also classifies the symptoms and how they present. Um, So if we think about it in that simplest form, connective tissue connects, separates and supports all of our other tissues in the body. So it includes things like bones, skin, um, muscles, tendons and cartilage. So the symptoms of EDS are systemic and they are really quite widely 
found in in our clients' lives. Mm -hmm. um, the most common form is hypermobile EDS. So the prevalence of that is about one in 3,000 to 5,000. So that's probably the one that I'll refer to the most today. Yeah, right. um, yeah. But with that though, other sub groups include things like vascular EDS um, and there's quite a lot of different different presentations within that too. Right and just on that with uh, the hypermobility correct is this where you know the bait and score where you used to do the flexibility test is that is that have correspondence with it as well or am I looking at a different angle there? No you're correct okay. um, so there is hypermobile spectrum disorder is mm -hmm. a different diagnosis, although presents again sort of along that continuum of okay. presentations. Mm -hmm. um, so because of that, it is actually quite, can be quite challenging to diagnose EDS. And there are a lot of people that live in our community that would probably be living with EDS and are and, and unaware of it. Yeah, yeah right. so it's very much one of those invisible illnesses or conditions. Okay. And yep. um, I think I look at it with that sort of iceberg approach and that it presents in a physical way, though the mm -hmm. manifestations of that and how it impacts people's lives is way more vast um, yeah. under the surface, yeah. um, which I think is why it's so important for us as EPs to have a role in, in that. Um, and I guess on that too, diagnosis-wise, um, the common diagnosis pathway is to have, um, I suppose, a criteria, um, particularly for hypermobile, EDS. Mm -hmm. um, they go through diagnostic criteria. Um, there is actually no genetic marker currently for hypermobile EDS, so okay. they aren't able to do a genetic test. Most yep. other forms you can, um, but that is a whole other, I guess, complication in itself from a diagnosis and access to services like NDIS yeah. standpoint too. In indeed. Um, and who is kind of doing these diagnostics of EDS as well? Is it, can physiotherapists do this? Can, is it GP related? Is it, um, yeah, kind of what profession is is mostly diagnosing it? That is a good question. I think from my understanding, we are able to, like, so not we, sorry, physiotherapists are able to um, deliver the criteria, and I suppose yes. actually other allied health yep. would be able to. However, they would not be able to diagnose. Mm -hmm. I believe it requires a referral back to their doctor okay. um, yep. and potentially specialists if they are looking at the more vascular or yeah. um, muscular presentations. What it is out of the 13 of them. Exactly, yes. exactly. <laughs> um, which is quite complex. <laughs> but I guess it, you're right in thinking like there, is, there can be some inferences made from yeah, exactly. for exactly. allied health and um, yeah, and then going through the appropriate um, pathways yeah. to then get the, the official diagnosis to yeah. then treat accordingly for your plan. Exactly. Talking about treatment, yes. take us in to uh, what you would do when a patient presents and, and you've got on your notes in the initial assessment that they've got EDS, mm -hmm. and that's all it says. So yeah. they just say EDS, and now knowing that there's many different types, let's unpack and give us a little bit of an insight to our listeners about what questions you're asking and what that assessment looks like. Yeah, definitely. So subjectively, with that presentation, I think beginning with their story is firstly important because it is quite possible that they've had a very long journey to get there, particularly as we were saying before for the diagnosis itself, but also just in the way that the condition is so profound in the way that it impacts the entire body and, and its systems. Um, and I think, again, as EPs, our role is to be the person that can listen and take a little bit more time and, um, and listen to their story. So that is the biggest thing for the subjective assessment, but clinically being able to ask the questions around the different subsets. So if the patient for some reason isn't sure they're um, the category that they are being diagnosed within, um, they usually should, but if they didn't, um, screening for musculoskeletal presentations 
can be just a good place to start because most people living with EDS um, would have had some component of either pain, chronic pain, um, dislocations, subluxations yeah. and things like that around yeah. joints. And these would be the kind of questions you're asking too, to kind of identify to what severity they're experiencing with their yeah. EDS. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Um, and then outside of that too, I suppose checking in with things that are more of that sort of vascular presentation. So if they've had mm. any cardiac history, mm. um, yeah. I think a good place to start would be to just see who their team is right now. So yep. that kind of gives you then the inference if they are seeing a cardiologist or if they've had a history with um, like orthodontist, dentist, because that is another subset. Right. Um, yep. And things like that will kind of guide your questioning that way too. Um, outside of that, I think as you would for anybody looking at the way that their condition has impacted their life, so whether that's screening for, and it should, you should, with all with all of these sorts of conditions around EDS, screen for mental health and how it's impacted their life in that mm -hmm. way, um, so that we can either flag for the need for a further referral, um, but we can also then, based on our chronic pain podcast that you guys, I hope, have listened to already, <laughs> um, we know how much that impacts our experience of pain, and if we can support our patients yeah. better in that way, it's it's quite crucial. Um, as usual, true screening for other aspects of their life, like sleep, fatigue, um, stress, and all of those things that, again, impact pain, but can also impact what our sessions may look like. Mm. Because with EDS too, with the impact of things like fatigue, um, it will mean that our sessions are never gonna be linear and they need to be changed based on how the person is in front of you. Fantastic. Um, so let's then kind of go into the exercise prescription itself. Again, we want to preface this with it's probably going to vary for depending on all those things you just mentioned about the assessment, about assessing a person from the capacity. And actually, just before I get into that, <clears throat> I'll actually use you as an example here, Georgia, as well. Um, how many years have you been in EP at the moment? Uh, two. Two? And you're, you started with us as basically a new grad, correct? Mm, yeah. Very much so. So my, where I'm leading with this is the fact that what you've just done in terms of how you identify someone's um, plan and treatment plan is uh, by finding out the first thing is their story. What is their capacity of physical capacity, mental capacity? I really like that iceberg analogy where you're going, okay, this is what the diagnosis is, but what's underneath mm. is so much more. And that's a biopsychosocial model that we really apply um, in our practice. Now, a year ago, we had a conversation about you can literally see anyone with any condition and you might be freaking out because you go, I've never seen this condition before. <coughs> I have to know every inch and ounce of detail about this to then apply the best practice. Um, but really, that is important and you still want to do your study and, and make sure you're experiencing an area to then provide the best um, experience for the client and education. But from what you've just said, um, in terms of unpacking and, and finding out the client's journey, the assessment protocols from that stem from that. The mm -hmm. exercise prescription and programming comes from that as well, from yeah. finding out about the person and how they are experiencing their condition. Um, <coughs> the other things that you've mentioned is, is, is required, so you still need to, as I said, don't disregard the fact that you need to do a little bit of upskilling in, in mm -hmm. particular areas of, of conditions that might present. But I do remember a year ago, it was Georgia sitting there going, I need to know everything about this <laughs> to make sure I'm doing a really good job, compared to now where it's like, well, I don't know everything. I know some, but I can still apply a bloody good assessment and some really good exercise prescription programming because 
the fundamentals don't change. Exactly. So that is a key takeaway from that. It not is. disregarding the fact that we want to learn and um, have a good understanding and to provide education about the condition itself, but in terms of how you take through an assessment, it is listening to the client yeah. and making sure that you're having those touch points of everything that iceberg entails. Exactly. Simple. So good growth, Georgia. <laughs> hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope you're learning a lot in this particular episode. Just a shout out to our sponsor, HGG Performance, which provide very high quality innovative gym equipment and custom fit outs to enable you to pivot your potential and smash performance and rehab goals. They are world renowned for their innovative creations in the gym accessory space, including the best selling ISO Tib LT, Tib Bar, Wrist Axe and Nordic Bar. And I gotta say, we're using some of these equipment in our clinic and finding some great results. Used by professional sports teams, athletes and coaches worldwide, as well as the military, health practitioners, and apparently even Joe Rogan uses their gear. HGG is a proudly Aussie-owned company that makes all their gym equipment at their Gold Coast HQ. And our partnership with them, we are stoked to offer you 10% discount on any product with the code BODYTRACK10 so you can experience what all the hype is about yourself. So jump over to their website, go to the checkout, punch in the code of BODYTRACK10 to get 10% off um, on any of their great innovative gym equipment and start using today. Thanks very much. Going on to the exercise prescription and programming after my babble. Yes. Um, Apologies, I've had two coffees already, it's 8 o'clock, so (laughs) I am going on a bit of a tangent, but let's take a look at a specific case study Mm -hmm. uh, for what exercise prescription and programming you have done for them. Um, Yeah. If you can unpack that a little bit and, and give an insight to our listeners about um, taking research to practice for that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think initially, I actually don't think I went through it yet um, objectively. So um, No, we didn't. We skipped. <laughs> That's not the objective. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of on me. But um, essentially, so like you mentioned, the bait and scale can be of use um, yep. in terms of looking exactly what joint ranges look like, assuming that they all are going to be quite quite mobile (laughs) Um, but it can still give information around that so that is something that you can do Um, outside of that though um, looking at things like balance and proprioception particularly Mm. proprioception Mm -hmm. so we know that with hypermobility and moving into those hypermobile ranges we don't have great joint awareness um, and so that can then influence proprioception and the ability of the body to know where it is in space Mm. Um, so looking at that is really quite important Um, generally looking at how the person moves so we know that usually there can be like lower muscle tone particularly if the patient is even like is is younger as well um we also want to look for things like um i suppose they're just their motor control in in general so how they're able to actually move different segments of their body and how they can respond to cues Mm -hmm. um what i found in practice is that sometimes you can sort of cue somebody into the position that you'd like them to be in they can do it for a couple of reps and then they sort of lose that almost so um that can be something that's just good to look at initially um and then you can apply that to your prescription as you go along is there, is there any specific actual movements that you're doing there or are you actually just looking at, you know, a, a, like a sit to stand or a, a then uh, gait analysis on uh, day-to-day movements or are you is there like specific things that you've learned to actually look at in terms of their movement analysis? Great question. I would say a little bit of both. So okay. um, I think just a, looking at a squat or a sit to stand mm-hmm. in general can be really useful. So I mm-hmm. do often use that as well as a gait analysis. Um, however, then functional movements, like you said too, if there is a particular position that's either 
been causing them trouble or something that they want to be do want to be do want to be able to do better <laughs> um i'll look at that um otherwise i do generally find that looking around the shoulder can be really helpful so the yep. clients okay. that i've seen have been um mostly complaining of of chronic shoulder pain or, or, or instability around there so um i do like to get them in sort of like almost a push-up position whichever variation they're most comfortable in so you can sort of have a look around control of the muscles that support the shoulder yeah um, right. while yep. also looking at sort of stability there so mm -hmm. we have the mat assessment that you can that we can utilize here at body chat which is great so um if they're in the position to to be able to do that i'll often look at that um and that can just kind of combine some objective data with also looking at how their body can stabilize one shoulder versus the other Yep. Um, and what that looks like in terms of the muscles that are being recruited and used. Great. Um, now, we'll go on to exercise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Prescription. Yes. Um, yeah, talk us through some case studies that you've had for clients with EDS and how you've prescribed your exercises. Um, also, like, because I think, tell me if I'm wrong here, but um, if someone's coming with EDS and not a lot of exercise history, yeah. Uh, they're probably asking some questions about how the hell is exercise going to yeah. help me here. Yeah, like, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And with, with that, I think training age is really important to, mm -hmm. to take into account. So we know with EDS that it actually takes longer to see progress. So being able to have that initial conversation with the client to see what they've done and sort of where they are in terms of their exercise and then being able to move from that and give them the expectations of the fact that they may see progress that's a little bit slower. And that can be hard with that first initial subjective um, interview with your client to sort of acknowledge that exercise is very much the right thing for you to be doing and this is what the research is showing yeah. and how we're gonna support you through it, but it is gonna take a little bit of time. So yeah. setting that expectation early, I think is important. Um, so with that, as well as with any other client, really important to sort of start slow. <laughs> so yeah. um, being able to give them guess that balance of finding the right dosage of exercise that clinically will help them to get stronger and fitter and feel better um, in themselves but also finding movement patterns that they can do and that don't give them pain and that gives them that sort of sense of small wins and making that gradual progress given mm. that the global progress will be a bit slower mm. Mm. Um, so I think that's initially quite important um, also first again considering comorbidities so um, the research is showing at the moment that POTS can be quite closely associated with um, EDS, so quite a lot of clients yep. will have a diagnosis of both. So and, with ju and just that, on that, sorry yeah, Georgia, yeah. POTS, if, they're, if you're not aware, yep. postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Jeez, I'm getting the big words yeah, no. today. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, continue on. Yeah. Um, but yes, so with POTS, um, we know symptom-wise that, that can, they can present with um, dizziness or they can even present sort of on the other side of that um, with the, that tachycardic tachycardic response in terms of high heart rate palpitations mm. Um, mm. and we know that postural change is quite big with that so for some people you may need to start um, on the floor and yeah. I was actually having a good conversation with our EP Cam yesterday um, when we were having one of our meetings around sort of the protocol of just gradual change based on how they tolerate that so moving yeah. from that sort of more supine exercise um, if they're able to tolerate that sort of coming out to that more 30 degree incline and then yep. getting into standing in yep. upright positions. Yeah, and it's a very slow process. Very um, slow. So that's the other part that I know you're doing really well. And, and again, for the listeners, need to make sure the expectations is there. Yeah, is like, this will be slow. Yeah. Um, timelines aren't a thing. And, and you're going to have to compete against people who want to race through and get back to 
some sense of normality perhaps yeah. as well. Um, so you're going to have to uh, really rein that in and manage the client in that respect um, as best as possible. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, any other tips on um, ideas around the exercise prescription programming for, for this population? Yes, so um, I think what has worked best, best for myself and my client at the moment um, was starting with isometric exercise. Okay, um, yep. So Fantastic. we found that not only does that suit us well in the sense of it being analgesic, so we are managing pain mm. um, in that sense with the use of isometric exercise, but it also sort of moves back to that point we made before around increasing our awareness around proprioception, our body's ability to know where it is in space. Mm. Um, and it can also just be good to again sort of show those those joints <laughs> where they are in space at the same time yeah. as just the body as a whole. Yeah, so, like they're probably learning about their body capacity yeah. as, by doing that as well. Definitely. Um, and what kind of uh, isometric exercises were you doing particularly for the, for the for this client? Yeah, so for this client, she was looking to return to running. Yep. Um, so we used some like flamingo holds and things like that where okay. we could sort of increase awareness around the lower limb and the glutes. Mm -hmm. um, we also did a little bit of work around the shoulder because that was something that she had had quite a fair bit of pain with in her past. Um, so we found that the combination of the two of those sort of um, worked well as Great. just two of the more global um, joints and positions that she wanted to be in. Yep. Um, from there too, we know that using more kinetic, um, closed kinetic chain exercises yep. can right. be useful at the start too, um, and higher rep ranges too. Mm -hmm. So we looked to start with less load as we move towards those more isotonic exercises, so like concentric, eccentric contractions. Mm -hmm. um, that lighter loads and more repetition so that the client has a chance and the body has a chance to get used to what they're doing and what we're asking it to do. Yes. Um, yeah. And that also accounts that for that point we made before around sort of having to adjust um, cue-wise and sort of, I guess, use your client. So ask your client what they're feeling, what they think is going to be suitable for their body too because we know that they, they know their body better than anybody. And although we are the clinician and we want them to, us to come at it in a way of showing them what is clinically necessary. Um, they know their body better than better than you do. So yeah. asking your client what, what it's feeling like and, and what they think mm -hmm. is gonna suit them in that position too is really important. Yep. Um, outside of that, we actually had a really great in-service from Kath over at Barefoot um, who came and chatted to our team around hypermobility and a little bit of EDS um, a couple of months ago and she made a really good point around making sure that you're working within both the neutral and the hypermobile ranges. So mm. um, I suppose generally it may be assumed that you want to avoid those ranges, but we actually want to be able to sort of teach the body and the person that it is okay to access that range. We do want to have the strength to be able to do that, Yeah, um, right. but you don't necessarily need to only work within that that neutral to, to shorter, I suppose, range. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Like, I, yeah. I would have thought exactly that, you yeah, know, as just a clinician. Well. And, and again, this is where you need to do your research <laughs> to make <laughs> exactly. sure you're underpinning and, and working within safe, safe uh, ranges. But um, I would have thought that, yeah, you, you want to try to avoid going to that uh, hyper-extended position yeah. or, or, or to that unsafe range, as you would think about it being yeah. unsafe. But I guess it brings it back to uh, the the thought process of um, strength through range would that exactly. be correct? Yeah, yeah. that's okay. what I took away from it as well. So, Wonderful. Um, and it also just gives the client confidence too, in that um, their body has access to that this range. Yes, it does mean that they've had an, a history of, of pain and, mm. and dysfunction in a way too. But um, we want to kind of empower them to feel like they are in control of their body and yeah. their body is is strong. Um, last 
point, I suppose, in terms of our exercise prescription and sort of, I guess, the programming of that is that eccentric exercise can also be really useful for so that sort of notion of training your brakes and being able to control uh, um, yeah, that nice positioning one. when we're, particularly if they're, if they're playing sport. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, children in particular, but also adults as well living with EDS can be encouraged not to be involved in sports, just given the risk of injury as well as um, like tissue. Um, like, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Um, skin hypersensibility and tissue tissue fragility. So okay. increasing right. risk of like bruises, hematomas, and, yeah. um, and just general injuries there. And then tissue and healing timeframes are longer for people living with EDS. Yeah. Um, however, for those that are, are playing sport and doing it in a way that's that's right for their body, um, eccentric training can be really useful. And then in everyday life as well, eccentric and training is really useful too to control I, that joint. I like that analogy of training your brakes. That's very, very good and a good takeaway um, about how eccentric training can help with this population, but also in in other populations that you'll see as well. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Uh, some quick take-home points to wrap up this podcast. Yes, absolutely. Um, go for it. George. So I think for people that are living with either hypermobility, so hypermobility spectrum disorder or EDS, um, making sure that you're listening to their story. So taking on board what your client is saying and what their experience has been and then doing with that what you think is going to be the best approach. So both from a clinical standpoint and just treating them as a human in front of you, making sure that we're able to adjust based on the day as well. So everybody is going to come in feeling differently every day. Um, However, if you can set your client up with an action plan in the sense of sort of monitoring for fatigue, monitoring for pain, um, empowering them to know that every time they come to see you, there's going to be an option and we're going to be working towards their goals. It just may look a little bit different based on the day. So I think that's something that can be important to communicate from the beginning, both you as a practitioner, because it can be frustrating as a practitioner too, to sort of Of be feeling like you're not providing um, a linear trajectory in terms of progression. Yeah. Um, But I think it's important to be able to take a step back um, and work with your client to to both manage your expectations while still working towards um, their, their ultimate priorities in that way too. Wonderful. Georgia, I am very insightful. I've taken a lot out of this pod um, and going to apply it with my own clients if, if need be, if I have an EDS client or even if I have a, because I have quite a long, few long-term clients and never really touched on the hypermobility yeah, stuff. Yeah, I actually, one of so, my clients, um, I, she was just diagnosed with hypermobility and there were so many points that we were just like, I think that you might need yeah, to go in touch yeah. with your GP and I think there's a couple of clients. Yeah. And with our regular touch points with clients, as we've seen them once, a minimum once, even more than that per week, we can see this very yeah. clearly. So it, it is our responsibility to infer and, and get further assistance if need be and, and that diagnostic mm-hmm. approach. Uh, George, that's all we're going to have time for. Fabulous. But I'm coming to you for any EDS stuff in good. future. I would love that. I'm um, really enjoying it. There's a lot of research that needs to be done around EDS. That's yeah. also a good point to make. So yes, it'll be exciting to hopefully see that change. Who yeah. knows? Maybe maybe I'll go do some extra research on it. Might do a PhD. Who knows? Please don't. We need you here. Okay. <laughs> on that note. That's <laughs> true. On that note, that's another podcast from the Body Track Academy <laughs> done. Georgia, thank you very much. And we'll chat again Thanks soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. So remember to share, like, or follow to keep updated with all our podcasts and educational resources.